0: Well, happy Mother's Day, everybody, and now that we we're all crying and everything and tore up, um, when Brother Glenn called me about preaching Mother's Day service, um, first I didn't recognize that it was Mother's Day, and then when my sister emailed me and said, are you excited about preaching Mother's Day service, I, I immediately thought, man, that's like giving the keys to a Porsche to a six-year-old and telling him not to wreck it, like, you know, I mean, so, and you notice none, none of them are sitting up here with me. So, if I say anything wrong, y'all can stone me, and they, they'll just go on. They'll just move on. So, um, but no, it, it, it'll be good. I, I, it is an honor to come home. It's an honor to come home. This church, uh, it's an honor. It's an honor to. Um, when people ask me where I come from, I can say Hillcrest Baptist Church. When I stand up in front of people and people tell me. Uh, and it's not me, it's God through me. You, you preach beyond your years. I can say, well, I had a good mentor that I watched at Heelcrest Baptist Church. I mean, it, it is, it's a blessing. You don't, know, you don't know the influence you've had on people. You don't. I can go ahead and tell you that. I know Brother Glenn gets up here and tells you that all the time. I know the other pastors. Look, I'm out there now. You don't know the impact you've had on other people. You just don't. You're, you'll never understand it. In fact, we will never, I will never fully understand it until we get the glory. All right, so let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Um, with Mother's Day, And when I was looking and I was praying to God about my, my sermon that he would have me give to you, and, um, I, and I pray it's not me, because if it's me up here talking, it's not worth anything. But on, my, on Mother's Day, I started thinking about the importance of mothers throughout the Bible. And mothers are always synonymous with babies. You know, when when you think about the Israelites in Egypt and they're crying out to God and they had the most powerful nation at the time enslaving them, God answers them through a mother and a baby. That's God's plan for them. When you think about from there, uh, you can go even farther back and you think about the first promise that God gave Abraham was of a seed. And his wife, as, as, as we've been told in Hebrews and throughout the Bible, they were so far gone. There was no possible way that they could have a child. But yet God delivered through Sarah, a mother, a child. The promised seed that would bring in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we look at Elizabeth and the great John the Baptist, that great preacher he was, but yet the miracle started with his mother, Being blessed. And then last of all, we have Mary. We have Mary, a woman beloved by God, chosen vessel to carry in the Savior of the world. I mean, when God wants to do something special, He doesn't need a mighty warrior, He needs a godly woman and a baby, and it's done. So, my question that I have for you, and really the title of my message today, is The Job of a Mother. What is the job of a mother? And obviously, I am underqualified to talk about that. (laughs) But the one who sent me here today is not. He is overly qualified to speak on it. All right? But the job of a mother, what is the job of a mother? And it is simply this. I'm going to give you the answer, and then I'm going to show you through Hannah's life what it looks like to to do the job of a mother. The job of a mother is to bring their children up in the will of the Lord. That's it. That's all it comes down to. So let's look in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and I'm going to work through the first eight verses here. We're actually going to cover this whole chapter. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but we'll go in and out of it. But I'm going to read these first eight verses. It says this. Now, there was a certain man, Rathumah Sophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Eliknah, and his son of Jerohom of Elu, the son of Tal, the son of Zoph, and Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Paniah. And Peniah had children, but Hannah had none. And this man went up to his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time, and when the time was that Elkanah offered, and he gave to Peniah his wife, and to all her sons and daughters portions, but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today, Lord, as a body of believers here at Hillcrest Baptist Church, Lord. Um, God, we just pray that you come down on this place, Lord. The greatest Mother's Day gift that we could have, Lord, is if we saw a lost soul come home to the Father today, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that I decrease, Lord, and you fill me with your word, control me with your spirit, God, that your message may be clear and present here today for any that might be lost. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first thing that I want to show you about Hannah's life, okay, and the first thing that I want to show you about the job of a mother is the day that you live in. The day that you live in is so important. For Hannah, it was the day of the the judges. We all know what that day was like, right? The last verse of the judges tells us this. In that day, there was no king, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. If it felt good to you, do it. If it looked right, do it. If it was pleasing to your flesh, do it. Doesn't that sound familiar? Isn't that the days we live in right now? There was political unrest in the nation of Israel at that time. When we look before the days of the judges, you had Moses. You had a central leader. You had a man of God leading the people of Israel. And man, they fought against him and they fought against him. But Moses stayed strong and the people eventually moved on. And they grew in the Lord. After him, you had Joshua. Joshua leads the people into the promised land. He does amazing things in the name of God. The people are are worshiping God. They're, They're finally on path. They're doing the right things. But then after Joshua, it falls off. The leader disappears. There's no one there to lead the people. Politically, they are little city tribes. They're no longer one big nation. Not only that... Was their political issues a mess? They were also spiritually bankrupt. They moved into what was called syncretism. They had the worship and the proper worship of their God, but what they were doing is they were taking worship practices of Baal and worship practices of Moloch and they were mixing that all in and trying to worship God. And so you have this constant oppression come against them, judgment sent from God because of the way they were worshiping. Spiritually, they were dying. In chapter 17 of Judges, we see that even the Levite priests start making idols to worship in. In chapter 18, we see disobedience from a whole tribe. They were supposed to go out and drive out the Philistines, but they disobeyed God and moved north. Lastly, not only were they politically and spiritually destroyed, they were morally terrible. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. In the last few chapters of Uh, Judges, it ends with a civil war. You understand that, that when you're reading through Judges, it's a constant progression of what it looks like from a life that gets away from God. At the beginning, there's an oppressor. And throughout the book of Judges, that oppression gets a little worse and a little worse. And then finally, it comes to a point that they don't even need an oppressor, that they're so far away from God that all they're doing is fighting amongst each other. That's the day Hannah's living in. That's the day Hannah's living in homosexuality was thought okay. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah days they were living in. If you don't believe me, go back and read the last few chapters of Judges. It'll show you. She was living in the same exact day we're living in. And the question is, how can we take our children, how can our mothers take our children, how can our fathers take our children and grow them up to know the Lord? A, A clear distinction is, um, when, whenever it was the days of the judges, it always said that there arose a generation that did not have knowledge of God. Now, in the translation in us in English, that means they did not know who God was, but that's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying that they did not have an intimate knowledge of God. It wasn't that they didn't know who he was. It wasn't that they didn't know how to reach him. It's that, that they had never bowed their knee to him. They had never submitted to him. And so in those days, that is the days that Hannah's living in. So first I want us to show, first thing I want to show you about Hannah is her husband. Look at Elkanah. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3, we see something very clear about Elkanah. One, we know he's a man of God. Now I know that sounds a little weird. We know he has two wives, and that's a sin. Even in his day, it was a sin. Okay, we can't excuse him from that. But let's understand the culture and the context that he's coming from. He has married Hannah. Hannah, more than likely, was his first wife. And she was barren. The Bible tells us that. She could not have children. They did not know why. It was just like Sarah and Abraham. And what did Sarah and Abraham do? Instead of waiting on God, instead of praying God, instead of seeking for God, they tried to find another way. And that's what Elkanah here does. He marries another woman just to have children, just to have a family. But here's something that we find out about Elkanah here in verse 3. It says, And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts. Unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, Phinehas, and the priest of the Lord were there. This is what I need you to understand about um, Elkanah. When that says Lord of hosts, that word in Hebrew is Yahweh Savah. That means the Lord of the angel armies, the all-powerful. It is a military term that we're talking about here. Elkanah, when he brought his family to the house of God, he brought them to the house of God and he came and worshipped because he knew his political situation. He knew their spiritual situation. He knew their moral situation. And he knew the only one that had an answer for him was the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies. That's the one. That's the man that Elkanah, came to speak to. Obviously, he taught this to his family. We see, we're going to see in Hannah's life how that plays out. In his day, though, Elkanah was seeking for a leader. Elkanah's coming to the house of God, and he's praying for a Joshua. He's praying for Moses. He's, he's seen his people probably literally destroy themselves on the inside, and it's breaking his heart. He's waiting for God to send that next man to come forth. So that's where Elkanah, her husband, is. Now let's look at Hannah. Look in verse 9 through 18. We know Hannah's coming with him. She's coming to worship with him. We see that in these first few verses. But then the story switches from Elkanah, the man of the house, and, and the rest of the story is about the woman, Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Now at this time, Hannah is barren in her day. That would mean that if her husband died, she would be left with nothing. Nothing. That's why she's so distraught in verse 8 there. If something were to happen to her husband, there would be no one there to take care of her. She had no, no siblings. She had no, no uh, children. There was no one to take care of Hannah. So she comes to Shiloh with her husband. And, and let's look here in verses 9 through 11. Um, 11, how she's praying. It says, So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord and she was in bitterness of soul, prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thy handmaiden and remember me and not forget thine handmaiden, but will give unto thy handmaiden a man-child and I will give them unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. So, what we see from Hannah here is that she has come into the house of God and she is not praying for a leader here, is she? She lives in the same day, she knows the same moral issues that are going on. But understand this Hannah's whole security rested in a child. So, Hannah is coming to God, her husband's coming to God, praying for a leader to lead the nation. Hannah's coming to God, praying for God to make her unbarren, to to give her fruit. And she's praying, look, and I love how she calls him. She calls him Lord of hosts, the same exact God her husband's praying to, Lord of hosts. See, what Hannah wanted us to understand here is that though she were barren, she knew the one that she could go to to become fruitful. And if there's a message that I want you, Hillcrest Baptist Church, to take away from you today, look, I know there's some hard times. Satan is on the attack. This day is terrible. It's rough. It it is trying to break us apart. It's trying to put dissension in the body. But here's the thing. Even though that it might look barren sometimes, and even though it might look like it's dry out there, there's a Lord of hosts that can send some fruit. There's some fruit out there that can be harvested if we will come and weep before God. And seek God in bitterness of soul. Look, Hannah's here. Her, her whole approach to God here is she is broken. That is what it's trying to show you there. Her words, the, the words that describe her is totally destroyed. She is laying out before God in bitterness of soul, weeping in tears. Uh, and, and, and I, I believe that, that God just moved on me while we were singing because I, I couldn't help but not cry. I I would say, I'm not a man of, I'm not a man of tears. I'm just not. Those of you that grew up with me, you know, I'm not a man of tears, but I, I was sitting there and God just broke over me as we're sitting there. We're singing about how his blood has covered me, me, someone that was so barren, someone that was so dead inside, but yet his blood covered me. And then we move on and we talk about the blessings that he's given us. And, I, and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, even though I'm situated on a mountain out in the middle of nowhere, he has blessed me above and beyond anything that I could think capable of. I mean, there's so many blessings that he's given me. But understand this, when we come to God like that, you want to know how to fix the problems in Hillcrest Baptist Church? Come to God broken. Come to God broken, weeping, in bitterness of soul. And this doesn't just go out to those of us who are in the congregation. I'm talking about from head down. If you want to fix the problems in Hillcrest Baptist Church, you want to fix the problems in your own personal life, we've got to come to God broken and in bitterness of soul saying, I can't fix this. I need a Lord of hosts. I need an angel army to come down here and clear the way for me because I can't do it. That's where we've got to come to. But also another character is introduced here with Hannah. We see Eli. Eli and Hannah and Samuel, Hannah's family, Samuel and and Hannah and Eli and his sons are constantly contradicted. God is trying to, uh, in this story, he's trying to show us what a true life of living for God should look like and what what a life not living for God should look like. But what he's also trying to show us here is it doesn't matter where your position in life is. It doesn't matter who you are. Look, I, I'm up here preaching to you today, not because there's something special about me, but because this is the gift God has given me. It's no different than the gift that God has given you. I'm not deserving of any honor. I'm not deserving of any praise. I have no right to sit here and judge you because I'm a sinner just like you are. But this is the gift God has given me, so if I don't use it, then I'm going to be in judgment. That, that, that's, what, that's what God's trying to show us here, is that there, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters the way you approach God. And here Hannah is. She is coming. She is coming broken. Not even over the spiritual situation of their nation. Not over the moral situation of their nation. Not over the um, political situation of their nation. She's coming broken just because she doesn't have a child. And here's the man of God who's supposed to be leading them. Who's supposed to be dealing with all these issues. And he's sitting on the job. He's sitting there. Look at him. It says, now Eli the priest sat upon the seat post of the temple. And you know the story. Eli is sitting there watching Hannah as she's praying and she's weeping and she's seeking God. And, and what, what does he do? He, he considers her to be drunk. There's no spiritual discernment about Eli. There's nothing about Eli that says, man, this woman right here is in deep spiritual distress. How can I comfort her? How can I help her? Let me just show you some of the differences between... Um, Hannah and Eli. One, we know Hannah was a woman. And that day, that, that was almost considered property. It was almost that low. Not only that, she was a barren woman, which means people looked on her as if she were accursed, as if she had done something wrong that God had judged her and would not allow her to have children. Then we see Eli. He's the high priest of Israel. Man, he's decked out to the nines. He's wearing gold. He's got the 12 different stones of the tribes of Israel. Understand, he gets to walk into the temple of the presence of God once a year. No one else can do that. No one else can do the things that this man can do. And yet, he's sitting on the job. It reminds me of a a church that I got to go preach at. We do Great Commission projects. Um, and, And this one church I went to, it was in West Virginia... And I, I looked at this church and I walked up and, and I did, I, I judged it, I judged the book by its covers. what I did. And I walked up to it and I looked at it and I said, man, this is gonna, this is gonna be rough. I can, go, I can already tell it. Pastor was nice to me. He was a great man, but he's really nice to me. But I, I walked in there, I mean, it's not updated. It's not pretty. It's not anything that we, it's, it cannot even compare to what we have here. And I just looked at it and I, I don't know. And the message God had given me was about love your brother. Let me tell you something. This whole church was the nicest people I ever met in my life. I mean, I was wiping sw- slobber off of me trying to get to the pulpit. I mean, they, every single person in the church came up, shook my hand. Every single person introduced. Every single person said, man, we're so glad to see you. And my message is about brotherly love, or, or is about, um, sorry, prodigal son. Luke 15 is what I was preaching on and how you should love your brother. Uh, God, that ain't the right message for this group. I don't know what you're thinking, but this ain't going to work. God said, preach it anyways. So I got up there, and I preached that message. I preached it just like I do any other message. I preached my heart out. I did my best. And, man, I'm telling you, that place, when we went to invitation time, was filled at the altar. People crying. People snotting all over each other. I mean, I I, ain't never seen anything like it. It was, And it just blew my mind. And people coming up to me after the service, brother, that's exactly what we needed to hear. We needed to hear that. I needed that. And I'm thinking, really, I've never even seen you before in my life, and you're already inviting me over to your house. Like, I, I mean, it was it was mind boggling. But on the other hand, I went to another church in Kentucky. Man, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful church. And I was preaching on being faithful in your attendance. And not just being a, a, a body in the seat, but actually being faithful. You understand that church isn't just coming. This is not church. This is just a building. You're the church. Everywhere you go, you should be at work for your Father. And, that, and so that's what I was preaching on. And man, at this church, I'm thinking, man, this is going to be great. This look, everything looks great. Everything looks like it's ready. And man, I preached my heart out of that church. They all stood looked at me stone cold, and walked out the door as if nothing, they they just came. They came to just do their duty. That's the the picture God's trying to show us here with Hannah and Eli. One's coming to meet God, the other one's coming just to do a duty. Um, another, Another difference between them, Hannah sought God with tears for the impossible, She knew God had shut up her womb. It even says it, that God had shut up her womb. Hannah sought tears for for God to do the impossible while Eli was found sitting instead of pleading for the possible. You understand this? Could you imagine how much the prayer, the Bible tells us that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If Eli would have been right with God as the high priest of the nation, the most powerful spiritual entity of their time, if he'd have been right with God and he would have, broken down before God and led the nation into a revival, every other issue would have been fixed. It would have been done with. It was possible for him to fix these problems. It was not possible for Hannah. But Hannah sought God anyways. And this is the most important one. Hannah reverenced God with the utmost authority. God is mentioned as Yahweh, which is the highest rank of names that the Israelites could give God. Hannah is mentioned with Yahweh 22 times in the first chapter. In the first chapter, Hannah is mentioned God as Yahweh 22 times. But yet when Eli mentions God, look at this. In verse 17, it says, Then Eli answered her. This is after Hannah has begged for him, after Hannah has told him why she's all broken down. In verse 17, it says, Then Eli answered her, Go in peace, And the God of Israel grant thee any petition that thou hast asked of him. That word for God is Elohim. It's not a bad word. He's not calling God. He's not not jipping God of anything. But you know what he's doing? He doesn't have the same reverence as Hannah did. What he's saying is the God of Israel. You know, the God of our country. He doesn't say the God of the world, the God of the universe, the God of angel armies, the God of the one that can fix anything that I need. That's not the God he's talking about. He's just, it's a casual reference. Elohim, God of Israel. It's just a passing reference. Lastly, Hannah lowers herself to those appointed over her. Five times she calls herself a handmaiden. In in verse 11, she says it three times. And then in um, verse 17 and 18, she says it twice to Eli. Twice to Eli. Three times she lowers herself to God and a handmaiden in their days would have been like a slave. It's the lowest you could go. It would have been, a, 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 it's not a wife, it's not anything. You just do whatever your master is asking you to do, basically. That's what, she lowers herself like that in the face of, in the presence of God and she even lowers herself that far in the presence of the one that God has set over her. I mean, we're seeing something about Hannah here and the reverence and respect that Hannah has for not only God's authority, but for the authority that God has set over her life. Look, I'm a firm believer that God created man and woman. And He created them equal and He loves them equally. But look, we have totally different responsibilities. Totally different responsibilities. And in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, it breaks down those responsibilities for us. And that word submit is exactly what Hannah's doing here For God and for Eli. She's submitting. She's coming under the authority that she knows that God has set above her. It doesn't matter that Eli is not qualified. It doesn't matter that Eli is living in a state of sin. And see, what we need to understand as a church today is it should not matter. If you've come to hear me today, you have not come to hear anybody. I am unqualified to stand up here and preach. God's the one who qualifies me. I can't do it in and of myself. Brother Glenn, with as great as he is, and the greatest, and man, I wish I could learn to preach just half as well as he could preach. But he himself is just a man. We're not called to worship him. We're called to worship God. And when we get that right, and we get those things in our lives right, everything else will fall apart or fall together. And that's where Hannah is in her life. She has submitted herself to the proper authorities, and she is seeking the God of angel armies. The only one that can answer her problem. The only one that can fix what's wrong. All right? So the first thing that we wanted to see there is that it was a hard day. She's living in hard times. So are we. Are we not? I mean, we're living in some hard days. We're living in some hard times. Well, how how do we deal with that? How How do we deal with hard days and hard times that we live in? Well, we've got to have heartfelt prayer. That's what Hannah's having here. She's not having a prayer that's just a systematic thing that we do. That, okay, well, mom and daddy told me I needed to pray or I learned to pray that I'm in church. No, she is coming because she is seeking communion with God. And there's nothing that's going to stop her from that. Heartfelt prayer will answer any hard times that you run into. I can promise you that. I'm a witness. I can tell you story after story already that God has met my needs through heartfelt prayer. Nextly, I want to look at the hard goodbye. Goodbye. So we see that she has dedicated Samuel, all right? In verses 19 through 23, she has, or or, or I'm sorry, the verses that we just looked at, she has come before God, she has made a vow, and she has said, God, if you give me a son, I promise I'll give him back to you. I won't keep him. He won't be mine, God. He'll be yours. In verses 19 through 23, we see that Hannah's prayer is answered. Look at it with me. It says, and they arose up in the morning, and worshipped before the Lord, and returned, and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about, that after Hannah had conceived, she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all of his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. And Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go until the child be weaned. And then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. So there's three things I want to point out here. One is we see the faithfulness of God and Hannah's husband. Elkanah comes back in the picture here. Hannah has vowed a vow to God, and God's came through for Hannah, but not only that, her husband comes through for Hannah. Look, if you read Numbers 30, verse 13, you will understand that any vow that Hannah made, her husband could cancel. Hannah came searching God's will, praying and making a vow to God that if she give him a son, that if, she give, if he gives her a son, that she'll give him back to him. But here's the thing. Elkanah had the power to say, no, I'm going to cancel out that vow. That's my son. I'm not giving my son up. Numbers 30, 13 shows us that in their day. But here's what we see about Elkanah, he he accepts the vow. He's faithful. Not only is her God faithful, but her husband is faithful to do that which she's vowed. Do you see the cohesiveness of the family that is seeking God's will? You want to know what the problem you, you want to know how to handle the problems in your day? As a family, as a unit. The mother and the father are to raise the children to know God's will. Through heartfelt prayer. It doesn't matter if the days are hard or if the days are good. That is what you're called to do. And that's what we see here take place. There is a faithfulness between God and her husband. Secondly, we see a preparation she gave her son. This time of weaning could be around three years. Understand that. Three years that she spent. and, And when it says weaning, I believe personally, she prepared Samuel to where he would not be a burden for Eli. Eli was getting old. You find that out in the next chapter. Eli's getting old and he needs somebody to serve him and to just help him in his duties. You know, a baby is not going to be able to do that. Eli's going to have a lot of trouble trying to feed a baby and keep a baby supplied. I mean, Hannah, what she's doing here, she's not breaking her vow. She's preparing her son to be able to carry out what she has vowed him to do. Now, here's what I need you mothers to see, because it'll rip your heart out. It'll rip my heart out. I about broke down crying reading it. Understand this, when she is raising Samuel and she's preparing Samuel, she has to let her son know she's going to let him go. She has to let Samuel know, son, I'm preparing you to turn you back over. You're not going to live with me. You're not going to be with me forever. I've got to give you up because I made a vow to God. And she had to teach her son why that was important and why she had to do what she was going to do. I mean, could you imagine? I don't even have children. I don't have I don't, my best friend and Addison Melissa just had a, a little baby, Cora. And man, that's not even my child, and I'm not gonna let her go. I'll fight every one of you. I'm not letting her go. But could you imagine your own flesh and blood? And not only are you having to raise them and bring them to a point of understanding, you're having to teach them that you're going to have to let them go. That you're going to have to physically give them over to Eli. Not only that, you know where they're going. She, she, I mean, she, she, yeah, he's going to serve in front of the Lord, but she knew the, who Eli was. She knew the problems. I mean, it was well known the problems that his boys were causing throughout Israel. She knew the, the, the filthy, vile things that were going on. The, the messed up worship That was going on. But yet, she had to prepare her son for that. Moms, understand this. Listen to me. If you're not preparing to let your children go, then you're doing a disservice. Not just to you, but to our entire country, to the entire world. You're doing a disservice. The millennials that have come up, this last generation, they say that the mother is a helicopter mother. Which means anytime that The millennial needs something. He picks up the phone, calls mama, and mama shows up on the scene and fixes the problem. Look, that's not what we're called to do. That's not what you're called to do. You're called to raise that child up to such a point that at one point in time, you can let them go off in their own, and you know that they're chasing after the will of God. That is your role as a mother, and that's what Hannah's having to do here. And then lastly, we see she brings her only son to Shiloh, to be faithful to her vow. Do you know what Shiloh means? This is where Shiloh is where the temple or the tabernacle was at that time. You know what Shiloh means? It means that which belongs to him. So you can imagine as she's walking down that road, as she's bringing Samuel to give him away, she's walking knowing she has to let that boy go. She's, She's walking one way with her son, knowing that when she walks back, It's just mama. Samuel's not coming back. The resolve that it would take for Hannah to give away her son. But here's what I need you to see. God did the same thing with us. God did the same thing with us. He sat there on the portals of heaven with his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, sending him to an earth that he knows What's going on? The vile things. The horrible things. Not only that, he knows what they're going to do to his son. And yet he let him go anyways. He released him. I mean, if that doesn't get all over you, and if that doesn't show you the love of God that he has for you today, if you are lost and you are dying and you are on your way to hell right now, let me tell you something. It's not because God wants you to go there. It's because you have chosen. You have rejected the sacrifice that He has given for you. You've you, you've not only rejected it. He has poured out His love to such an extent that you would never be able to repay it back. But yeah, you've chosen. You know what? That, that doesn't matter to me. Now you would never let your own son go. You'd never let your own daughter go. You would never let your kids be mistreated. But yet God did it for you and it doesn't bother you one bit. Hey, I've been there. I rejected him for 20-something years. But when I accepted him, man, he changed my life. And he'll do it for you too. Salvation's here for you today. But the hardest thing to do is to let go. We know Hannah Rejoice. Chapter 2 gives us her song. She sings a song of praise unto God. But we don't need to forget that that mother had to leave without her son the hardest time that I've ever had in my life the hardest moment I've ever had in my personal life was when God called me to Clear Creek Bible Baptist College up in the mountains we have 50, 60 students nothing special about it and I'm sitting there the day The next day, we've got the U-Haul. We've got it all loaded up. Everything's gone good. Everything's been smooth. And the next day, I have to pull out. And I've got to leave Mama behind. I spent that whole night as a full-grown man, wrapped in my wife's arms, crying in tears. Because I had to let Mom go. And you know what? Each time that I have to go back to school... I've got to look mom in the eyes and you know what mom's got to do? She's got to let me go. And every time, every time, it breaks us. It hurts. It hurts to let your kids go. It doesn't matter how old they are. It hurts to let them go. But Hannah knew. Hannah knew that she had to let Samuel go. And she had to build him up to be ready to do the Lord's will. Lastly, and we're going to close and we're going to go into imitation. We've looked at the hard day that they lived in. We looked at the heartfelt prayer. We've seen the hard goodbye and the gut-wrenching fact that eventually you as mothers, your job is to raise your kid to let them go, be with the Lord. That's your job, to raise them. To let them go. But lastly, and this should be hope and encouragement for you. Look in verse 28 with me. Chapter 1, verse 28. It says, therefore. This is something I've learned in school. Anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, it's important. Because it means for this reason. Hannah is saying, Hannah is looking at Eli and she is saying, for this reason I am going to let my son go. She says, also... Therefore, also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. The importance of that word lent. It's the same thing that is meant today. If you go out to a bank and they lend you money, they're going to charge you interest. And they're going to expect more money back than what they gave you. That's what Hannah is talking about here. She says, I have... God has been merciful to me. God has blessed me beyond belief. She has given me, he's given me Samuel. And now here I am, and I'm going to be uh, faithful to my vow. I'm going to let my son go. I have trained him. I've brought him up. I'm going to let him go. But here's the thing. I expect more of God. I expect more of God. I am lending him out to God. He's never going to be mine again. He's going to be God's. And here's what we know about Samuel Well, and Hannah. Chapter 2, verses 20 through 21, God blesses her with more children. She has three sons and two more daughters. God blesses Hannah because of the sacrifice she gives up of her son here. Not only that, Samuel is the last and the most effective judge of Israel. And he is the first of the major prophets. Hebrews 11 shows us that. He is the only prophet mentioned by name in the hall of faith. I mean, he was lent out for so much more than Hannah could ever allow him to do. Next, in chapter 7, Samuel leads a nation-led revival. So now we see that not only is the mother's prayer answered, but now the father's prayer has been answered because Samuel brings his people back to God. In chapter 9, Samuel anoints the first king of Israel, Saul. And although Saul had his many mistakes, Saul set the foundation for the king of Israel. In chapter 9 or chapter 16, Samuel anoints God's king for Israel and plays a part in the messianic prophecy. I mean, understand this. When people are looking back over the scriptures and they're really trying to find messianic prophecy and draw things out of it, they begin at Samuel. Cuz Samuel's the one who anointed David. And that Messiah, Jesus Christ came from the line of David to be king of the entire world. Could you imagine Could you imagine how Hannah felt when she went home that day broken in tears because she had given her son away, the only son she had. And then could you, could you imagine being able to sit down with Hannah a few years later and say, what do you think about what God has done in your life? And she's just rolling off the things that her son Samuel did because I lent him to the Lord. Mothers, it's Mother's Day today. And we've come to honor you. We've come to thank you for what you've done in our lives. But Here's what I would ask all of you to do. If you have not come and given your child away to the Lord, I'm not talking about baby dedication. I'm talking about really giving them away. No matter what comes, no matter what hard days come, my child is God's. Do it today. Come today and give that child away. But it goes beyond that. As leaders in the ministry, Brother Shane, Brother Glenn, Brother Mike, if there's a part of your ministry that you're holding on to and you're just not going to let go, come give it away to God. He can do so much more with it. He can do so much more with my ministry than I could ever possibly do with it. And I know you know that. I know I, I, I'm the pipsqueak among all of you. But sometimes God uses a pipsqueak to get to the man on top. But it doesn't stop there. If there's a Sunday school teacher, if there's a VBS, if there's a Wanda worker, if there's just a man or woman in here who has never surrendered to God, today is your day of salvation. And he will do so much more in your life than you could ever possibly do on your own.